Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. In 2010, I was living in Seattle, Washington, and one of the first jobs I got there was at this place called The Egyptian. It was an independent movie theater on Capitol Hill. And that job ruled. It ruled for a lot of reasons, but probably one of my favorite reasons was you didn't actually have to work that hard. I mean, after the theater filled and the movie started, there wasn't really much to do besides refill the occasional popcorn, but you mostly just sat around and waited until the movie ended. Some would read a book or find a seat in the back to take a nap, which I definitely did once or twice, but I would often bring my pliers and my little trinkets and I would sit there and I'd make earrings during my break. My friend Catalina took note, and one day she asked me, hey, you ever thought of taking a metalsmithing class? To which I replied, I don't even know what metalsmithing is. So she tells me about the Pratt Fine Arts Center, which just so happened to be located in my neighborhood. It's the type of place that offers art classes for all ages, all skill levels, and all abilities. To put it in their words, They offer independent access to its professionally equipped studios, providing shared access to the resources required for artists and hobbyists to pursue their crafts. And that's exactly what I needed, resources and access to pursue my hobby. So I asked my dad to help me pay for the class. It was only $300, but shockingly, my movie theater gig wasn't gonna pay the bills. That eight-week beginning medals class had a huge impact on me. Well, obviously. My instructor, Sarah Lurcher, she would introduce me to this place called Penlin in that class, and she would go on to become one of my closest friends and mentors. Many of you listening know of a similar organization or nonprofit. You've probably taken classes or rented studio space. There's places like the Pratt Fine Arts Center all over this country, And places such as these are very dear to my heart. Today's guest is the director of the Baltimore Jewelry Center. It's a nonprofit metals and jewelry makerspace in Baltimore City. They offer classes, workshops, and studio rental access to anybody with an interest in contemporary jewelry making. In April, the JV Collective brought our exhibition to the Baltimore Jewelry Center's gallery. So, in similar fashion to what I did in Munich, I decided to set up my microphones in the gallery. The Baltimore Jewelry Center was one of the first places I reached out to for interviews when I started Proceed to Value, and it took until now to be able to sit down with members of the staff and finally make those interviews happen. I'm excited to share the story of this new and developing nonprofit. They've got a lot going on, y'all. So, please welcome Today's guest, the director of the Baltimore Jewelry Center, Shane Prada. 
It's it like, it's hard to take yourself seriously. Like, I mean, it I, really is. Yeah. I think uh, some people are naturally good at it. I'm oh yeah. the opposite of being naturally good at taking myself seriously. Do you do this thing when you read artist statements where half the time I'm like, are they actually saying anything? Oh, no, no. I absolutely do. In fact, <laughs> I would really like to lead, because I have some writing you know, experience, I would like to lead a small workshop on like how to really cut like trim your artist statement so it's actually saying something oh my god can i take that i feel like if you did that it would sell out in a hot minute because we're all just screaming inside about it it's lots of big words and big ideas but yeah well you know the thing that even for that statement which i'm really proud of even though i was like it's just like ready yet, it's so. five cents Ooh, yeah. I, you know what if you want to give me feedback <laughs> on it I would love to hear it um, but I was just like I hate when I read artist statements and I just feel like they're just using the big com- yeah. complex words I'm like can we just put it in layman's oh yeah. also you know that saying layman's terms uh-huh. up until like a month ago I thought it was lamest terms lamest yeah like oh lame. like lamest yeah oh. <laughs> I just realized, um, side note, why everyone's obsessed with the royal wedding beyond the fact that's royal wedding, that it's like an American. I just realized that, even though I knew she was American. But those moments where you're like, what? what? Like, oh, I've been using this word. I'm like, oh, yeah, in lamest terms, this is what this means. And someone was like, what? And I Sounds Googled like you're saying lame is. <laughs> and I was like, lame mans. What the hell does that yeah. mean? Yeah. And then I got it. So anyways I try to write like I would speak or I just want I and I honestly find that I think that if I find an artist statement that seems too like flowery we'll say Mm -hmm. I often wonder if people are just overcompensating for feeling like they don't have much to say which isn't true there's a lot to be said about all kinds of work but yeah I just think and it's not just artists who do it I think most people when given the task of writing who are not writers have to write it's yeah Oh, it's awful. So I didn't realize that you were a writer. Well, I mean, I've just always written. I'm not, don't don't share that. Not really a writer. No, (laughs) I mean, I was like a literature major in college and I've always done like some writing on the side. So you're hip to I'm I'm hip to rules. I really like to write. I do a lot of journaling. (laughs) I've written curriculum. I'm embarking on writing some some articles, like a little bit about jewelry. Okay. um, I like to write. That's, well, that's that right there is the biggest exactly. challenge yeah. is like actually enjoying it yeah which most people can't say they do yeah and i feel confident about having to do it so it's like not the thing that i put off which i think if you know i would assume a lot of artists feel like oh, it's the last thing i want to do oh yeah not absolutely all them, we're all i mean all of us are like leslie when's the last possible the moment, moment we could thing. send you these sentences yes yeah. <laughs> um that's how yeah. it goes yeah oh cool okay so shane prada prada is that how it, you say it? Did I say it wrong? No, no, no. You said it right. Okay, cool. I'm like, well, you know, you get to know people through the internet these yeah. days. And then when you meet them in person and you say their name and they're like, that's not actually how I say it. No, I'm no, like, no. Oh, no, it is. Damn. There's just a side story that it's my married name and my in-laws say it a different way. Oh, what do you, how, how do your in-laws say it? Prada. Prada. That's, that was like what I thought. I was like, is it Prada or is it Prada? Well, I mean. Are they from the South? No, I'm from the South. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's just, it's like claim the name. Like, yeah. That's how you pronounce it, but you know. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, so um, you are the director. We're at the Baltimore Jewelry Center and right now everybody's buzzing around us. If you hear some noise, it's because I am once again set up in a gallery um, and our opening reception for JV Collective's exhibition Sirens is tonight from six to nine. Um, and so as we 
record this interview, people are going to start showing up and whatever, and we'll just be sitting here like a couple of fish in a fishbowl. And that's going to be awesome. Shane is like cringing right now. I love interviewing people who are shy. (laughs) Only radio shy. I know. People hate the sound. I mean, I hate the sound of my own voice too. Like I've had to lean into it. It's the fact that you're capturing words that someone could continue to listen listen to. to. Oh my gosh. Art Jewelry Forum did this thing where they had um, like Google Hangouts and it was all the ambassadors and I'm one of them and I did it. Congrats. And we had to go around and had to say like who we were and what we do. And I was like, Sarah Rachel Brown, I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And that was like, I blinked. That's like all I could say. <laughs> like I do all these other things and all these other people were like, I do this and this is how I'm involved with the community and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I make jewelry. Like no shit, Sherlock. Like you're on Art Jewelry Forum. Oh, so I feel you. And And it's on the internet forever. (laughs) Yeah, look it up, guys. You can find it on their (laughs) website, whatever. Um, So you're the director of the Baltimore Jewelry Center. I am. Ah, that's exciting. Um, So through this episode, I just want to give a little um, insight as to what the Baltimore Jewelry Center is, because it's a really special place um, and kind of how it came to be. But also, I often think about how people can have careers that relate to the field that doesn't have to be the artist who has gallery representation and blah, blah, make a living off of the work they're making. Like there's a lot of ways to make a living within the field. And I mean, being the director of Baltimore Jewelry Center would be a really cool job if somebody was really passionate about it. Um, So I wanted to just give an insight as to what your job is like and what that actually means. Um, Because I feel like sometimes I don't really actually know what certain people do. Most people don't know what most people do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, what does that job yeah. actually entail? Yeah, unless you're a teacher or a doctor, even then. Yeah, even then you're yeah. like, huh? Um, so Shane, are you from Baltimore? I am not. I have lived here for almost 14 years, but I am originally from rural Mississippi. Um, and I moved oh. here after undergrad. Where'd you go to undergrad at? I went to the University of Mississippi. Oh, okay. Is that the Ole Miss? That's Ole Miss. Oh, okay. That's a big mm-hmm. school. It is a big school. It's gotten much bigger in the past decade. It's yeah. And there's a lot of pride, school oh, pride for the... Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not even like aware of it, but I mm. do know that. There's, there's a lot going on there. Um, what did you go to school for? Um, I studied English and International Studies. Okay. Yeah, I, what does that mean? It means I came to art later in life at like the age of 30 and pretty much never considered it as anything that I wanted to be doing or around. Um, that's not completely true, but um, what is what does international studies mean? It, it yeah. means history and political science and a language study. And um, Is it kind of like the undergrad degree you get before going into something else further or? Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and just also like one of the many kind of catch-all liberal arts degrees where you get to read a lot and write a lot and not really have a job when you graduate which is a lot of people right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so did you pay for your undergrad I had a full scholarship for my undergrad oh my gosh you're smart that's the thing (laughs) wait (laughs) what'd you get on your ACTs just kidding I don't want to talk about that either um okay so you graduated Mm -hmm. what did you do when you graduated I joined Teach for America Oh, okay. Is that that thing where if you teach certain places, they'll pay off your student loan debt? Um, that's a small like it. it 
you can defer student loans for a few years through them, um, but it's not. That's not one of the things that it does. It, it, it places recent undergrads who don't have an education background in high needs schools, either in rural mm-hmm. areas or urban areas, um, with the and, and gives them very intensive training to be teachers. And you have a two year teaching commitment, and then. The, there's the idea that you, after teaching, whether you stay in education or not, that you are sort of lifelong committed to the cause. Oh, so. okay. How long did you end up doing it? Um, I was a teacher for 12 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you had a whole other career before coming to this. And where did you end up going? Where did they put you? I was in Baltimore. That's what I, that's what I, oh, okay. that's what I came here for. Yeah. Yes. And you have somewhat of a say in the selection process. It's sort of like a double blind matching. Um, but I wanted to be in the mid-Atlantic and I wanted mm-hmm. to be in like a medium-sized city, which is basically like D.C., Camden or Baltimore mm-hmm. and Baltimore just seemed to have a lot of charm and it turns out that it did and I fell in love with it <laughs> yeah so then what did you teach like high school nope I taught first grade oh yeah. little guys yeah taught little guys and so why did you um decide to leave that career like well um so I I'd never necessarily planned to stay in teaching forever but I knew I wanted to be in working in education Um, and I knew I wanted to um, I knew I wanted to be working in an urban area as well Uh, after Teach for America I helped start one of the first charter schools in Baltimore City Um, and that was a fabulous experience for many reasons but one is it allowed me to continue teaching, but do something more. So at that yeah. school, I was able, you know, to be a leader because we were starting a school together. Um, and that, in essence, gave me the background that was needed here at the BJC. Not that it, you know, not that it was like rolled out like that, but I was able to rely on a lot that I learned from starting that school and starting this school. Um, so yeah, I continued to teach for 10 more years after my Teach for America commitment at that charter school. And um, I had a just a really supportive school director who let me do a lot of different things. So I mm-hmm. taught beyond first grade, I taught um, a cooking class for five years. I taught a handwork class for a few years. And mm-hmm. I was always able to just like sort of chart my own course and write curriculum and, yeah. and, and just, you know, work in a more progressive way in an educational setting. The way I found my way to jewelry is that um, in the year 2010, so six years into my first career, I knew that I wanted to be doing something else, but I wasn't sure what. And I started taking, I thought I wanted to get my PhD in education. I started um, coursework in that at the University of Maryland while still teaching part-time. And also picked up a side class at the Gem Cutters Guild of Baltimore. Baltimore has a Gem Cutters Guild. Mm What? Oh my gosh, I love Lapidary Guild, yep. And they had an intro medals course, and I loved it. Like, loved it. Like, was like, I don't really want to get my PhD. I want to take jewelry classes. (laughs) She's making jewelry (laughs) now. And my teacher encouraged me to check out the MICA program. So MICA is the Maryland Institute College of Art, which is the art college in Baltimore. And they had a continuing studies program in art jewelry. And it was actually the location of it was right down the hallway from the Gem Cutters Guild. So literally, like, you know, after my class, I went and checked it out and enrolled in a summer course there and fell even deeper in love with it. I find it so interesting how many people I speak to and from having lived at Penland and Aramont, how many people come to jewelry as a second career? Mm. Like, oh, I just took a casual class and then I fell in love. I mean, myself included, I took a class at a very similar place to what the Baltimore Jewelry Center is. 
just casually. And then it was like, oh, I guess this is going to be my life now. <laughs> what are you going to do now? Like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> Hope it's lucrative. <laughs> we always joke. There was like this article online like a few years ago that was like, businesses you can start with five thousand dollars and one was like jewelry and it's like what <laughs> well, well, what kind of jewelry are you making yeah. dude um also okay. who has five thousand yeah also who has five thousand dollars to start a business <laughs> get out of here if you do are you gonna do that <laughs> yeah don't do that keep saving um i find it really interesting that you started a charter school okay so for me like i in my mind i would love to work at a nonprofit. Well, actually, you know what? I don't know if I want to. I don't. I would not love to work at a nonprofit because I know the realities of it. But I care so deeply and passionately about places like mm-hmm. the Baltimore Jewelry Center and things like that. And so I have started to reach out to people like, what kind of degree do you have to have to be the director of Penland School of Crafts, or what is your background? Mm-hmm. And somebody was like, oh, well, the best experience you can get that's free is join the board of any place. That's that is definitely true. But then how do you go from being uh, a first grade teacher and then being like, I'm going to start a charter school? Like that jump seems really big to me. Um, well, and it wasn't me. I mean, it was like I joined a team of people who had already been had the seed idea. And I, yeah. I, I became part of the team as we were actually like opening our first year. Yeah. Um, but actually in education, especially in more progressive circles, teachers are starting schools. Well, I, I can't say that. I mean, things are changing a bit, but at the, at when charter schools were really taking off across the country, which was like the early aughts and the mid aughts, um, which is still a weird thing for me to say. Like, what does a charter school mean? Is the private school, right? No, 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 no. It is a public school that, that operates with more autonomy. So one, one clever way I like to say is higher accountability for more autonomy. So you're still working with public school funds. You're still working with public school students, but you get to dictate your curriculum you get to dictate your programs. Oh, so, so it's a positive. For some reason, I always thought charter schools were kind of like a negative well, thing. Well, I mean, that's because in, in many ways, the media can portray them that way. And many have, it, it's just like anything else. There have been really excellent ones and there have been really like not as okay. excellent ones. So I get that. I mean, and it's a whole nother conversation. But <laughs> yeah. in, in the whole realm of, of school reform, there's many different um, alternative schools, transformation schools, charter schools, public-private partnerships, and uh, okay. yeah, charter schools are just one. Um, so then you yeah. joined this team of people. Yeah, and I, you know, I started a, a school, which, by the way, my first group of first graders are graduating from high school right what? now, which is super crazy and weird and, and also really exciting. Yeah. Um, it's also exciting to see how many of them went on to, Baltimore has a really great arts high school, public arts high school, and how yeah. many of them went on on to there and are going to art schools. So even though we didn't we didn't have a huge art program in our tiny little charter school or and we still don't, but it was just a really creative place. So So there's a group of people. Was that group comprised mostly of fellow instructors, like teachers that were kind of like fed yeah, up the with the charter school or this place? Uh no, for the charter school. Yes, like I'm yes. still okay. Yeah. It was and all then, teachers. So then with within that they invite you to join the team and get going with it. Mm-hmm. And so what was your role within that group? Like what did you focus on? Um, so first of all, we just had a, we, our first year we operated, we just were K through two. So we had kindergarten, first grade and second grade. Oh, nice. Um, so just three teachers and a school director and then a PE teacher was basically us and a, someone who did our professional development basically. So we had six people. Um, so it was very much in a similar fashion to the Baltimore Jewelry Center, which I'll talk about soon. Like, you know, coming together, having endless meetings, talking about like all the things that need to be done, who can do this, who can do that and like, yeah, do it. 
someone's uh-huh. like, oh, I'm good with grants or I'm I'm better at thinking about yeah, money or but maybe also, this is... That was a really good time to start a school in Baltimore. And and I'll I'll connect this to the BJC too. Like you know even myself, even though I'd only been here two years, we all had connections to draw upon, especially yeah. the other women that I was working with. Like they'd been oh, educating okay. for ten to twenty years. Um and there was just a lot of energy and resources. And that's not to say it wasn't very hard and, and you know, we didn't have to work really, really hard, but it was also just really fertile ground to do it. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah kind of like good timing yeah and that eased the process yeah but I mean I did you know a lot of curriculum writing a lot of actually recruiting students like going door to door to get more students enrolled in the school um a lot of meetings with with parents and just getting them to trust that like these kind of six hippy dippy ladies were going to take good care of their kids so it's kind of um, like a Montessori in the same way too yeah. like smaller well, sorry Montessori I, is I keep a, Montessori it, is I... an educational philosophy okay yeah, yeah. um but like size wise it seems like very small and it was intimate. it was very small and I believe very strongly in very small um uh, um educational spaces like yeah. 150 year less um and it and and it was yeah yeah um, but yeah, so I was taking classes at MICA, loving it, thinking about how I could like work less and take more classes. Mm-hmm. When MICA announced that it was closing its continuing studies program in our, in our and tour. that's around the time I met April Wood. Yeah, yeah, because yes. I remember meeting her, or some people were talking about MICA, and then she's like, "Yeah, I think it might be closing." Yeah. And it was just kind of like dun dun dun. Yeah, yeah. So MICA is what is it called? The, the Maryland M- Institute College of Art. I've heard it's expensive. Yeah, I think it's on par with a lot of art schools. I don't yeah. think that it's and that is expensive. Like the main school, like art school in Baltimore. Yes. Yeah. Um, is it n- physically nearby where we are right now? Yes. It oh. was not physically nearby where the Micah Jewelry Program was, actually. that It was an off-site program. Oh. It wasn't far from here. Yeah. Um, but yes, moving to this, to the current space that the Baltimore Jewelry Center is in, um, uh, was definitely connected to wanting to be, one element was wanting to be in sort of the the footprint of MICA. So MICA has a metals and jewelry department. Well, a continuing studies program. Oh, that's different. So they have a continuing different. studies program and yeah. they had multiple programs underneath that. that so when it's continuing studies, can just like anybody take a class? Anyone take it, yeah. Even and if you don't have an undergrad, you can oh, just decide yeah. to take it? And they're much more oh. affordable than the undergrad or grad courses. So like, yeah, I was, and I, coming to just like suddenly love jewelry, I wasn't in a position to go back to school, like for yeah. many reasons, but that, that program was going to, I could take five or six or seven years and it would be no more expensive than if I did it, tried to do it in two years, you know? So remind me, as you're falling in love with jewelry, you're still teaching at the charter yes, school. I was teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So then you fall in love mm-hmm. and Micah is going to be shutting down. Yeah. So where does this timeline keep going? (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, it keeps going. So, I mean, it was not shutting down because of a lack of enrollment um, or even finances per se, even though that, well, that was the reason. It was not making enough money for the college, which I completely understand. And um, also, it was the only pretty still kind of remaining uh, uh, continuing studies program. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just costing more money. And the the college was restructuring a lot of things. So it just, mm-hmm. it made sense for them to cut it. Um, but there was a really, really rich community of students and of course the faculty who wanted it to continue. And yeah. within that community, there, there are all kinds of people who have all kinds of connections and areas of expertise. Um, 
there are lawyers, there are people who had fundraising expertise, there are people who worked for the government, like all kinds of people who were like, we want this to continue and we want to help. Yeah. Um, and the faculty all wanted it to continue. I mean, they yeah. were all studio jewelers who taught. So April order. was a faculty, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, oh, they're oh. all studio jewelers yeah. who wanted to continue teaching and continue making their art, you know, for yeah. whom like the Micah Jewelry Center was you know, a place where they could do that. Um, at the same time, the Corcoran School of Arts Jewelry Program was, or the Corcoran she was keeps getting closing. Away from her microphone. I'm like, get closer. <laughs> um, the Corcoran was closing. Um, What's the Corcoran? It is an art college in, or was an art college. No, an art college in DC. Um, oh. Now it's just a museum. Oh, um, neat. Yeah, so there was there were programs that were closing, including Micah's program. There was energy to continue the work. Yeah. Um, and myself and six other people, April included, um, so five fac- four faculty members and three community members formed a leadership team. Oh. Um, and we just basically started meeting all the time. <laughs> At first, and, just like, hey, we have this idea. Let's just hash this out and think um, about it. Basically, I mean, there was yeah. energy from the, I mean, the community requested sort of a, a meeting of like, can we talk about alternatives and mm. what and what could we do? And, and from that came the formation of the leadership team. Yeah. And we just started meeting weekly and, you know, pooling our resources, like doing the research, figuring out what it would take to to make something that was viable that was our own um yeah i can't even imagine i feel like that would be so overwhelming it's so overwhelming but in some ways and this is something that i like i try to make sure to tell people i definitely make sure to tell people when they ask like hey i kind of want to start something similar starting something that already has roots you know and that already has energy behind it is i think easier than starting oh my god something that from scratch you know it was it was more about saving something you know and people can really can really you know rally around the idea of saving something and that's precisely and and we rode that wave you know and that's one reason why another you know crazy thing that we did that I don't recommend is we started a nonprofit (laughs) and launched a capital campaign which is a campaign to build a space I've heard that term before oh wow yeah I don't recommend it but but (laughs) but I I don't I think that we I look back and I'm glad we did that you know it was the wise decision because of we were capturing that energy of people wanting this to continue it was just a lot meaning don't start it because it's just a lot to take on a lot to take on and honestly like I think and this is where I you know my pessimistic realist side comes in like if I could do this all over again it would just take a lot more time like it yeah. just you know it's just like anything it's like I just re-listened to the On Being episode with Anna Hamilton where she talks about oh, artists her. Like, oh God. artists just like like it's like letting your your art go too early like before you know like, like before sit you're ready. with it yeah mm-hmm. and before and not even knowing that you're not ready and kind of giving it away and I feel it's the same whenever you create anything like the longer you can hold on to it and nurture it and really grow it into what it can, what you want it to be yeah the better I mean time is time is the most valuable resource we have I think um but it's also <laughs> really tricky you know well I mean I'm sure there was pressure like Micah's closing there's this period of oh. time where people just don't have anywhere to well, work or didn't do anything want, like we that was one of our goals was for there to really be no lag time oh see I get that then for many reasons we wanted the staff which was April and um, Beth Pullman and the faculty oh, I know to Beth. be able yeah hey girl um, <laughs> hey, Beth. Um, to be able to to retain their jobs you know to go right yeah. into a job we wanted our students to you know continue to have a place to go and we we also wanted again wanted to capture that energy um yeah. 
So the first year we were in operation, we were in the original location, which is about two miles from here. It's not, there are many reasons we wanted, we launched the capital campaign, the capital campaign, many reasons that we wanted to move out of that space. It was not very visible. It was not very accessible. It was too small. Didn't it flood a lot? It flooded I a saw, lot. <laughs> I so I met April during this period of time. She came to Penland to teach. Yes, and we have you, a lot of like, a course student. I was a course student. Yeah. yeah. And we had a lot of, um, I, I was just like, I, everybody was like, oh, you're going to love April Wood, blah, 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 blah. And then we found out that we actually had like friends in common because the punk Alex. and music scene is really small. Mm-hmm. Alex is one of my best friends. She credits me to getting her into jewelry, which I did. <laughs> hey, girl. Um, but so I met her and I just remember talking to her about it and um, that it was kind of happening at this time. And then following her on social media and then seeing pictures of <laughs> yeah. like a crazy flood. And I was like, is that your studio? Like, yeah. What? Yeah. So there was that, which was like, you know reason number one that we needed a new studio so we were in a floodplain when it first started you didn't you literally didn't even have to move buildings no, which again was was actually you know you just helpful. did you just buy all the equipment and space oh, no, from Micah? it was lovely they donated all of the equipment oh my god mm-hmm. are you kidding the me? replacement value would have been over eighty thousand dollars. okay so see this is bringing this all into perspective oh, yeah, exactly. for me like okay so yeah. you get all the equipment from get all the them. equipment we we just basically picked up with their lease um which was actually quite affordable yeah. Because we were in a floodplain. Um, <laughs> details. <laughs> details. Um, yeah, I mean, the MICA program closed in May, and we opened June 14th of 2014. So it was really like... Good Lord. So in between the spring of 2000, so MICA announced in the fall of 2012 they were closing the program. Um, in between the spring of 2013 and June of 2014, we were just, you know, working our tails off forming the nonprofit, yeah. making the connections we needed, fundraising for also, the nonprofit. with the nonprofit stuff, just because I've looked yeah. into it like once before mm-hmm. and I like got overwhelmed within five minutes because there's just so many things you have to do. Like there's a yeah. lot of like what I would there's call a lot like of red, red tape. tape. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you, you guys hired a lawyer, I'm sure, to like help you Pro with that? bono lawyer. That's the thing. We had oh. this community of people who were like, so you had some, a lawyer that's like, let me help you out. We I, had a lawyer who, um, who is, a student, an artist, and even now on our board, who got some of her lawyer her lawyer friends to be our pro bono lawyers. Dude, that's like, what yeah. that's what I'm saying. People, yeah. it's all about connections. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even still, like for, in in my own like personal reflection, like I never thought when I was teaching that I was making connections that would benefit anything I was doing in the future. You know, oh, other yeah. than other than just like having great connections with the families of, and the kids that I taught, but. So many of the family of the parents of children that I taught ended up helping us in some way. See, it's you know? all about like making no, connections. It's, it's, you never know how it's going to help you know. out. And it's like, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, doing this podcast and just, you know, knowing that some people might be listening to this wanting advice and the more you can just show up at things and, and be a part of things, be a part of things and represent yourself and represent the organization you're with, the better, you know, a big part of my job is, is, is just showing up and, and being a face for the organization. And also, when, if I'm asking for things, whether it's funding or support or n- building connections, it's about being persistent and continuing to go back, even if, I, even if I'm told no, because that pays off. People, you know, people yeah. notice, you know, when you're like, oh, well, you've been around a little bit, you know. It takes a certain person, too. Like, I respect you a lot for being in the position you are. I'm sure you have to, like reach out to people fairly regularly being like can you help support us yeah. etc it, it takes being comfortable with rejection which i'm not <laughs> but i'm getting better at it you know yeah. um and also just not taking things personally and knowing that you know a no now doesn't mean a no later 
Yeah. Um, and it also doesn't mean that they might not connect you with somebody else. Yeah, they um, just might not be in that also, position. Yeah, exactly. And Baltimore's, in, in my experience, both from working in education and now working in the arts, is a, is a city where if you want to do something and you have energy and you have some resources and you have some privilege, let's be honest, um, you can get things done. Like it, it's a city where it, there's just a lot of support for creative endeavors. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of it too. So the reception has started and people are coming in. As they come in, be mindful of staying closer to the okay. mic because the background noise will seep in, girl. Um, okay, so this is so exciting to me because I always wondered how people like start a nonprofit and all that. So then, but it seems like everything is falling into place because of Micah existing. And now I'm, t- I'm starting to kind of understand that. Like them donating the equipment and just moving into the same building. It's not like you had to start with a empty room no. and buy all the equipment love yeah. that and already having a fabulous faculty already having a body of students who were like so supportive and who were like yep sign me up for your classes you know so how did you keep everybody's salary rolling like for the instructors like starting in may like how did you guys get grants or funding to kind of jump start that like we did we did yeah yeah, yeah. And was that government based or um no um it was a combination of foundations and then donations Okay. Yeah. So that so, was, you're really reaching out to your community. Absolutely. And we had a community that was, you know, capable, capable of doing of that. Giving. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah, a thing. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did that first year go? Like, um, oh, also, how did you end up being the director? Were they just like, <laughs> no one really wants it? And you're like, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> There's different versions of <laughs> that answer. Uh, I mean, Early on, I was just taking the leadership role of like tracking all the notes, doing, taking charge of a lot of the uh, to-do items and the sort of action items from meetings. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I had, I did have the background of doing some grant writing and doing and and, and having started helped start a school. You know, it, yeah. it was that was very beneficial. Um, but also, I just kept showing up in that role. You know, yeah. Um, so just kind of naturally progressed to that. Yeah, yeah. Was there any a meeting where they're like, oh, everyone in favor um, say aye? <laughs> I don't, I, maybe there was. Now that we say that, I kind of feel like I'm a tyrant or something. I just think it's really easy, like interesting how sometimes things like this just naturally progress, right? Well, like I'm yeah. sure people all assume that, oh, Baltimore Jewelry Center is this like official place and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure they put out this national call for a director and everybody applied and it was cutthroat and then Shane Prada got it, you know? But yeah. like, honestly, no. that's kind of how I thought it went. <laughs> like I thought you were hired and they brought you in because of your expertise in fundraising or something. Um, I think I, I, yeah. I built my qualifications we'll say dude i <laughs> love that are you kidding me have you do, if you know anything about me you yeah. know like i champion that yeah. all the way well, and i do think that the nonprofit sector is a place where that happens actually all of the time yeah. especially because it isn't an industry where you know someone graduating with an mba is going to be really attracted to being <laughs> the director of a nonprofit. um yeah. and honestly often the you know the people in leadership roles are the people who are just have the capacity to do more of the technical work, you know? Yeah. Um, that oh, being Melanie's s- kids are here. Sorry, that's Quinn. Hi, Quinn. He calls me brown pants. He thinks he's funny. <laughs> it's cool. People called me that in high school as well. Pants. <laughs> oh, sorry, we're, we're getting distracted by the people, but it's fantastic. Yeah, um, so there was yeah lots of fundraising going on both for 
having seed money for the organization and then also for the capital campaign. Okay. And that could help us until we were earning some revenue. So a capital campaign is when you give yourself like a year to earn a certain amount? Well, you give yourself a certain amount of time to earn a certain amount to build a new space. Okay. It is literally about building ca- like a capital space. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Is there anything about it that if you don't hit certain goals, then you just don't get to do it? Um, I mean... Yes and no. It, it, it's not usually that black and white. Um, I mean, if in our case, we were, that's a whole nother layer to this, is that we were courted by the developer of the space that we're in, who is a fabulous yeah. person who supports the arts in Baltimore and supports community development and neighborhood development. Um, he wanted, as he was developing this space, this is we are located in an old theater um a big it's beautiful you guys yeah the space is lovely um um concrete behemoth theater (laughs) that is um 67,000 square feet we're just 3,500 square feet of that okay um there's a film program above us that Johns Hopkins and Micah collaborated to create yeah there is a co-working space in front of us impact hub there's a collection of nonprofits that all service neighborhood needs behind us um there's a gaming company on the third floor what? and a nonprofit that teaches coding in elementary and middle and high schools. Um, so it's a really cool place. But the landlord, he really he wanted a you know a dynamic group of of um, tenants, and he wanted there to be an arts or a maker space. So that was huge. The fact that someone wanted us <laughs> yeah. in a new space that was being developed, and their timeline mapped onto ours. Like they wanted like, to the open odds? this exactly. <laughs> like they wanted to open the space. In the summer of 2015, and that was, you know, that would have been a year after we opened. And so, yes, what are the odds? But also, these things aren't going to happen for you if you aren't out there looking for looking them and for making it connections. And letting people know that that's exactly. what you want. So that, that's, you know, that, that showing up and, and just promoting yourself and making connections and, um, you know, asking, it, it, it pays off. And also, just it was, you know, a time in Baltimore, and we're still kind of in this time where there's just a lot of support for artistic endeavors and and new uh you know new businesses especially those that have sort of a, a social mindset or an artistic mindset so the yeah. timing again the timing and sort of the fertile ground was a big benefit so how has things been since you guys launched like you're in this new space mm-hmm. it was a big move i mean the space is just so professional and Thanks. so beautiful like even your electroforming room like bathroom and it's just I mean, I lived at Penland, which people are like, oh, my God, the studio is, like, immaculate, blah, blah, blah. And you guys are like, oh, you're on par. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, a huge benefit is that, you know, April had worked at studios all across the country. And she's a badass. And she's a badass. And she had um, almost mental Rolodex for what these spaces looked like. And plus the connection to all the people who are managing those spaces. So, you know, that research, research phase, like, so many people contributed in huge ways. Um we spent a lot of time with Brian and Aaron at Brooklyn Metalworks and they were hugely helpful. You know, we just, we basically created a million questions for people and just asked. Um, So that we were making sure that we were developing a space that was on par with what colleges had and that was in some ways cutting edge. Um, I say in some ways because we don't do anything in 3D technology. But um, yeah, we wanted it to be a space that our students would really love and that new students would love and that people would want to come come here for learning for working for eventually a residency um yeah yeah. so then okay so you okay so 
at Baltimore Jewelry Center, you guys give, you have classes. Mm-hmm. You can rent studio space. Like right behind you, I can see there's like obviously somebody here rents a bench. <laughs> like they're like moved in for sure. Um, and you have visiting artists things. You have your gallery programming, mm-hmm. which is really great. Um, and then this last year, you kicked off the residency. So you, what I love about you guys is that I've you've been on my radar the whole time this has been happening, Thanks, right? Yeah. And seeing you guys grow and get momentum and just constantly be evolving it's it's like you don't you just don't stop yeah you're not resting on your laurels you're (laughs) just like what else can we do um in terms of funding wise is it are you still pulling a lot from supporters like individuals so we are it's important to realize that um in the um ecosystem or landscape we'll say of nonprofits. (laughs) yeah we're very fortunate in that we have the capacity to earn a good bit of revenue. Yeah. If you're, you know, a theater, if you're a museum, you don't have the same capacity that we do. Yeah. We sell, and I put that in quotations, which, the, you know, I realize the listeners can't see. Um, we sell <laughs> classes and workshops and studio rental. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, a very small part is like selling work, and that's gradually growing. Mm-hmm. That accounts for about 65% of our earnings, which is a, which is a big chunk. Yeah. Um, a lot of nonprofits are, are more, uh, maybe they're, they have 50% earned revenue if they're lucky. Yeah. Um, so the other 30, to, it's 65 to 70%. The other 30, 35% comes from grants, individual donations, um, and fundraisers. So as the director, what is like your day-to-day life mm-hmm. like? Like, I don't even know what a director does. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, do you just sit in your office and just like, yes, everything's uh, going great. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if I know what a director does. I know what I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm in charge of the overall structure and management of everything that we do here of all the programs. Okay. Um, and so a part of that is just having kind of like long-term vision and mm-hmm. using a lot of calendars and a lot of planning tools to be constantly like thinking about how things are integrating across the timeline of, of, of our year. Yeah. Um, because we have, you know, our educational program, our rental program, exhibitions, um, our residency program, and then we have a community outreach program that's like taking some of our workshops oh. outside of our space. But you're not like the one that books the in individual instructors. There's somebody else that does no, that. I do oh, are you are? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're like program director and director. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're small. So yeah. that's why. Okay. You know, how many we people have are on staff, staff Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Never yeah. mind. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you're like, yes, I wear all yeah. the hats. Yeah. And do you then do the grant writing too? Yeah. Um, oh. And then all the financial management. So, okay. Yeah. Have you taken classes like accounting <laughs> classes and things like that? Or is it just um, kind of like trial by error? Google. <laughs> <laughs> I Google everything. Um, I've taken, um, I've taken some econ classes yeah. and I've read some accounting manuals. Dude, I t- accounting for dummies. Like I would buy yeah. that. I respect you so yeah. much because you've taken mm-hmm. on like a pretty mm-hmm. big task and like are teaching yourself yeah. through it. I mean, QuickBooks is amazing. We have yeah. a really great accountant who's okay. helped me a lot yeah. um we also have a um, a much simpler system than someone you know a business that's like selling lots of things every day you know yeah no i get that oh i just went to sleep she okay. saw my computer go black and i was like yeah i worry sometimes too <laughs> <laughs> hasn't um, always been that friendly to me <laughs> yeah and so uh, you know developing budgets fundraising managing funds um that's a big part of my day-to-day sometimes more than I would like it to be um and then yeah. also building partnerships with um with other organizations with uh, with and you know other individuals like n- you know notable people with whether it's within the field or in the city um and kind of 
going back to what we were talking about earlier, like that's a big part of it of just like, yeah. You know. Do you get together with other nonprofit directors, have some beers, and like, hey guys, how's your week been so, going? <laughs> funny, I kind of have done that. So there's a there's a nonprofit that supports nonprofits um, called what? Maryland Nonprofits. I'm sure most states have one. That's ridiculous. Um, but it's in Baltimore, and they actually do facilitate a lot of professional development. And one of their one of the things they do is roundtables for executive directors. Oh, so that's nice. It's really helpful. It's support. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. And, and also, like, we're still. You know, we're doing all the things and we're doing pretty well, but there's still so much to learn. So just staying plugged in and and connecting to resources that, especially affordable resources, to continue yeah. to educate ourselves is a big part of that. Yeah, I think in the grander scheme of things, like you're a little baby. Well, you're in your yeah, infancy. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I want to be a baby as long as possible because <laughs> everybody's like willing to help you. <laughs> Everyone's oh, willing you guys to help you. So well. It's also you. you can be like, well, this is still new. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so can I ask you a personal question? Yes. I. And just curious, like, how do you figure out what you get paid at when you're a nonprofit? Like, when you guys were starting up and you had, like, a really strict budget, was it kind of like, this is also a passion project, so everybody's willing to kind of take a blow until you get things going? Like, how did... How do you get yeah, paid? No, that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it's also, I think, important in the spirit of transparency to, you know, m- make people aware of that. So um, I, for the first, this is our fourth year. We're coming up in the end of our fourth year of operation. So for the first three years, my job was largely volunteer. Okay. Um, Were you teaching during that for time? For two of those years, I was. Okay. So there was that, that like I did have another source of income. Um and and I am married, and yeah. you know I you have you a know, partner. I have a partner. Supports yes, you. Um, so I was in a position where the other two staff members weren't, where I had another job. Yeah, um, and I also cared a lot about this succeeding, and was willing to. I was going to do the work regardless. Yeah, um, and also to be completely honest, I I realized that everyone was taking a risk on me being the leader, and I was insecure about that, and and felt like. You know, like, well, I'll just do it for, you know, not very much. Um, yeah, because you're like, you know, it's I'm like, a lady. Did you have that yeah. imposter syndrome? Oh, I do have. Oh, my God. Syndrome. I still I have. Yeah, imposter Erica syndrome. and I talk about this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm going to find out that I can't do that. <laughs> Dude, I just taught my first workshop at a craft school and I was like, I am not qualified. Why are you listening to me? P.S. If my students are listening, I love you. And I do know what I'm doing. Do what I'm doing. Now that I've done it. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So and it's. Uh, but to me, it's also another part of, of developing an organization in a really smart way is is growing the business model and and making sure that we're not biting off more than we can chew. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, if I could be doing that, like kind of leading the way of yeah. like, well, you know. So, okay. But now, are you getting paid? Are you getting paid a living wage now? Um, yes, it is. Def- my my um, salary is definitely on the lower end. I would say for directors of nonprofits. But honestly, like yeah. nonprofit world, it's not a world where yeah. people are compensated very highly. I mean, yeah, for yeah, all the that's just like seen. known. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and as we grow, like my salary will increase some. You know. Yeah. Um, and are you able to get do you get benefits like do you get health insurance through um this? so i i don't um but i i could i elect to i am fortunate that i can be on my husband's insurance i was just gonna say is your husband yeah and that's actually insurance? that's actually it's, it's yeah he works for yeah. a hospital so that helps um but yeah so our staff does our staff gets oh, good. Um, a, a partial uh, they get a health benefit like a stipend every month um yeah so you know that that helps um i would love if one day we can build in a retirement package um, yeah like one of the problems we face is that all of that you'd count that as your overhead um 
we have so much overhead in some ways compared to our size because it it just it takes a certain amount of base overhead to run anything yeah and we're just so small so you know as we grow and as we're able to increase earnings from donations and Mm -hmm. individual support I think that we'll be able to realize that Okay. Yeah. And then we are, you know, our our instructors are obviously paid on a contract basis. Yeah. Um, And we're just really fortunate to have a fabulous group of instructors who are studio artists who cobble together, you know, in a very adjunct fashion, a few different um, teaching jobs and who work their hearts out for us and other institutions. And yeah. Well, you guys are, you guys are trying. I mean, you asked me to jury a holiday show, which was like nothing, but you paid me. 150 bucks yeah. to do it and I was like oh thank yeah. you I mean, we want to compensate people yeah sure. and I think you're you're I, I was shocked that you guys are compensating us because we came and installed our own mm-hmm. show here so things like that are just and I was so shocked when you said that like that's just like such a nice gesture no. to me you I know because you just assume that you <laughs> I know you just assume you're not getting paid for anything ever as an artist so you're like oh my god you're paying me for that nine hours I spent here last Saturday thank you like whatever it is I'll take it um, um, yeah, and that's, you know, this is a, actually a conversation that Katya Toporsky and I were having recently about, like, oh, well, what would it be like to live somewhere where, like, the arts are supported and sponsored <laughs> by the government? Yeah, um, I just had a conversation with Marta Matson on that. <laughs> I was like, wow, wow, it's like, I can't even relate. No, really, I don't I understand. Remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, I honestly just got my first, like, full-time job, and I had to Google, they're like, <laughs> they're like, well, yeah, we'll discuss, like, your benefits and your PTO and blah, 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 blah. like, what's PTO? I had to yeah. Google yeah. it. Yeah. I was like, oh, paid time off, yeah. duh. Like, yeah. so simple, but, yeah. like, was so far out of my yeah. reality. And we have, we, have, we have PTO as well. Um, yeah. So. And then, I mean, our, the staff um, and the instructors also have the benefit of utilizing the studio whenever yeah. we want nice um, and fringe benefits i yeah. love them and a discount on classes and workshops so cool yeah, and that. like for april she's gallery director mm-hmm. she's an instructor oh, she does a lot of things she does a lot if she teaches here is that separate from her salary yes like, is that on top yes. of it okay yes That's and, and, and erica as well um, oh yeah, yeah erica bellows yeah. here now oh, yeah. and then before that beth as well like they oh. both beth and april were managing the studio so they had a staff position and then they were also instructors yeah um and now and, and erica is is now she's on staff because beth has um, moved to pennsylvania so erica's on staff but she also teaches as well nice and you get erica bella to be teaching soldering here oh, i want to take that class like she's i solder queen the next time she does a soldering boot cap or something i'm gonna figure out whose yeah, awesome. um, floor i can sleep on while i take yeah, the class yeah you can sleep on because y'all ain't that far away yeah, we're not that far away especially if you leave at the right time Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do wish there was like the mark equivalent between Baltimore to Philly. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Maryland area rapid something. So there's a, there is a train between DC and Baltimore. That's awesome. And it's like $8 oh, each way. I wish yeah. there was one between Baltimore and Yeah, there Philly. is not. Cause no, I looked at that. No. It's like 70 is, bucks or yeah, something. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's like this capsule of time where you just sit in a cushy seat and read or whatever. Yeah. And it's like an hour and 10 minutes, but yeah. No. Yeah, it's a little, little rich for my blood. Yeah. There's a really nice little turnaround here so far. I was like, I don't really know anybody in Baltimore. Who's going to come? <laughs> it's also kind of cool, though. It does feel very fishbowl but... Yeah, well, yeah. we're kind of set up on the outskirts so we can look in on everybody. <laughs> the outskirts. Um, <laughs> uh, what would you say is 
has been the hardest part about this position for you? Let's start um, with the negative, and then we we end on a positive. Um, <laughs> she, she's got her notes. She's like, how do I word this politely? No, because, no. I mean, I think the thing, when I got the fellowship at Penland, I remember my mentor was like, everybody thinks it's magical because it is. They all go there for these classes and whatever. And she's like, the reality is, is that it's a nonprofit. And when you live and work at a nonprofit, it's not as pretty as you might think (laughs) and it's it's it can be a struggle in many ways so yeah i mean i mean there's a lot of things that cash could fix you know (laughs) (laughs) you got some money holler at your girl yeah you know like uh you know eventually getting to a place where you have another staff member fabulous um i would say the two biggest things um for me when i was you know thinking about that for this today the way i feel is uh um building the financial sustainability of the organization um and, and just you know, building a framework that is going to, for a long, for, it's going to allow us to exist for a long time. Yeah, like an endowment um, or something. Is well, that that I right mean, word? yes, but that's not even what I mean. I just mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's that even what woo. That word means? No, yeah, that, that's huge. <laughs> you know, like an endowment yeah. is, it's money that you're you're taking the the earnings from. You know, like, yeah. like, like you're, you're not even really even using, like, that would be amazing. Um, no, just building the business model such that, it, it is feasible that we can be around for a long time and then yeah. doing the, the day-to-day work to make, to maintain that. So fundraising. Yeah. Um, and even just managing the budget. Um, do you feel like right now you're still kind of like, how's it going to be next year? Like, are you still kind of worried about actually being able to stay or is it like, it's no. going to happen. We just have to keep working. No, I am concerned about things staying as is, you know, like if we were to lose certain bits of funding, like, you know, what would we have to cut? That that definitely oh, keeps me up at night. I you know, it that. would be wonderful to be in a place where um, we're less dependent on grants because grants can be, they can dry up real quick. Um, yeah. And that our grant funding would be just for certain programs such that if we didn't get the grant, well, we don't do that program, you know, yeah. but our, we still need grants for our overhead. Um, but, uh, you know, that's not, we're not unique in that. Um, and so, yes, uh, uh, also, a part of that is just building a stronger donor base. Um, yeah. You know, finding the people who can connect to us and want to give us large sums of money. How was Ornamenta? Oh, you guys, I That's donated our to you. Did it sell? Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. Like, we use it. We actually, make you money. No, we actually chose it as our raffle item because it was oh. such a wearable piece, and yeah. we always do a piece of jewelry that's in the raffle. That yeah. Um, yeah. It was super popular. Um, that makes me happy. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's like you, Aroma, and Penlin are the places. Thank you. That, I'll donate that, to. You. I mean, like, I just thank you to all of the amazing artists who donated. I mean, yeah. You all had a good. We always lineup. when we have to ask. You know, April does the asking and we're always like, Ugh. and people are so generous. People, a few people just sent us things. They were like, oh, and you know, like Mallory and was like, can I give you something? Yeah. <laughs> and Arthur and Liz, like, can we give you something? We're like, oh my God, we're going to cry. Um, no, Ornament is our annual fundraiser. Um, this is the first year that I walked away from it feeling like, okay, this is something that, you know, we keep working on it. It can be something that earns us a good bit of money. That's it's exciting. A, it's exciting. It's a lot of work, but it's... You know, it's a fun party and people want to be a part of it. Um, I'm the, so sad I couldn't come. Yeah. The way you make money with that that with a fundraiser is by getting sponsorships. It's not really the ticket sales or even the... Well, sponsorships... It's and by someone donating the money Giving for the money food. to run the party. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. then... Um, you know, eventually being able to get the kinds of guests who are like, oh, that piece is worth 200 I'll bid $500. Um, and we're not yes. there yet, but I think we'll get there. 
You'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so that's that's a big that's that definitely is very challenging. And the other challenging thing is just because I wear so many hats, like prioritizing my time. Yeah. So that I'm not, you know, spending so much time on things that maybe need less time in comparison to something else. That's yeah. hard. You know, having to be my own boss is hard. I couldn't even imagine. Like I would have such a hard time. I as an artist, it's like I have such I went and got a pet manicure this morning and I'm like I was beating myself up about it because I was like, you don't have nearly enough time to prepare for your artist talk. How dare you get a manicure? <laughs> like, do you feel that where you just, there's kind of, you don't know when to cut yourself off because you don't necessarily oh, have like a nine to five. It's yes. like you worry about it all the time. Yeah, but I mean, although like I am also, the flip side of that is my schedule is pretty flexible, you know, in yeah. that because I am, it's uh, compared to teaching where like you yeah. can't even leave your classroom to go use the bathroom, you know, um, and just, that's just the nature of it. Um, so yes, it's very, I am not good at not working at home or not working on vacation. Yeah. Um, but I also just really like to be connected and in control, which is, can be a problem. Um, so, well, I mean, you're really great. Like on social media, I, I don't think, I think we met through Instagram first before I actually met you in person. Yeah. Yeah. You are just like, you're, you seek out people in the community. Like you're not, you look past Baltimore. Like you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, we definitely want this to be a place where, you know, everyone's looking at us you know, as yeah. much as possible. Um, but yeah, those are the most challenging things, but there's just so many, there's so many great things about this job. Give I me mean, some, give me some great well, things. Well, right now, I mean, I we're know. looking Look at, at you know, party. 30, 35 people who are looking at art jewelry and having, you know, lively conversations about it and, and yeah. getting, you know, having just wonderful moments around art jewelry. Like that's fabulous. I love that. The fact that you guys are here and, yeah. <laughs> and that you brought a show to us and that you're here bringing your podcast to us. I mean, just connecting with people who are just authentically excited about what they do in life is yeah. is really special when you get to do that, unfortunately i think that's not that's not an element of a lot of people's jobs you know? i know yeah i um, totally get that so you know the trade-off for you know not making as much money in as in this sector or that sector like one of the trade-offs is but i get to work in a just a really authentic place that i am getting to help create and manage yeah and so maintaining that authenticity and just that that you know that this is a space where the people who work here want to be and the people who come and utilize the space want to be is is super it's special to be part of that um and it's really powerful and then you know my entire um my entire professional career and even before that in college just the things that i tended to do with my time have often revolved around just wonderful educational communities you know and just being a part of them helping create them helping sustain them and this is to me if I look back it's like oh it's another place that you know you've helped build and be a part of that's really enriching for the lives of everybody who's involved um yeah it's a very rewarding aspect it's you know how often students come in and they're like oh I'm here this is my favorite place Uh, I've been waiting to get here all through my work day like that's a really wonderful thing to hear and just Mm -hmm. to know that that you're doing that for someone um so promoting art jewelry like I love it as you do you know and just being able to like tell more people about it and bring more people in to see it um the residency program is awesome like I'm so glad we started that it's great we like fall in love with our residents and don't want them to leave yeah um 
So yeah, there's a lot of great things. And, and I mean, it's, it's just a special for them too. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I keep singing the praises of Pratt Fine Arts Center, which yeah. is just like you yeah. guys are kissing I've cousins. Heard, yeah, I've heard really great. That's things where about I got it. my start. Yeah. That's where I met my mentor. Yeah. Like, so you never know like how you're gonna shape somebody's life. Exactly. Or change and change. it's just yeah. you know, this isn't this unfortunately isn't a field that people value very highly whether you know arts or especially not art jewelry but it it's the it's the thing that people live for and it's the thing that that you know for so many people it's what what they get up for every day and yeah. so it, that's a really powerful thing to be a part of um i also i mean erica and april and i just i think we're a great team we work really well together and beth before erica and that's just just working with a really tight team of creative people yeah um it's awesome yeah so. when i saw it when I saw that Erica got hired, I was like, damn, dream yeah. team. Yeah. Baltimore Jewelry Center, killing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that, you know, like showing up and being like, oh, you know, and not that I didn't like the people that I worked with before, but, but just, yeah. you know, like it's, we just, we have a good rapport when it comes to creating like new ideas for projects and programs and that's super exciting because I don't get to make that's the fun story very much but oh yeah I do get to be creative in a different way in this job you know I relate to that yeah yeah so see was that so bad Shane she was nervous she's like oh I was like no no it's fine just start talking to me you forget that these microphones are in front of you and that there's a room full of people looking at you and all the things and that there are people who will listen to it later um well, thank you thank so much. You. This is great. You do a really great job. It's so cool. You got to a touch. I got a touch. <laughs> it's, it's wine. It's a touch through sound. <laughs> it's wine. <laughs> well, You're like, you know. do you want a drink? I'm like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> wine has, oh, well, I was about to say something really weird. Uh, <laughs> wine helps. That's yeah, all I'm wine say. helps. It relaxes you. Yeah. Um, but no, I just, even in this conversation, I came in thinking that I would know some of the answers and yeah. I definitely did not realize yeah. okay. so much that you just shared with me. So your, that's exciting. Your, your job's about learning, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Learning and in sharing. public. Yeah, yeah. learning, learning and sharing in public. In public. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming and, and being here and highlighting us and talking to all of us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks everybody for listening. This has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the value, the subject. I always, I always get the tagline wrong, can't do it right. The podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. Until next time. Perceived Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Perceived Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>